So Halloween has come and gone. Yeah. With nary a mention from us. And I would have kept it that way. But I read an article the other day that piqued my interest. Hmm. The people in Fostoria, Ohio. No idea if I pronounced that correctly. Yeah. Fostoria, not Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> were alerted by police of possible tampered candy when it was reported that sewing needles were discovered in a Kit Kat bar and a package of Sour Patch Kids. Now, those are just allegations. There was no evidence, at least at that time, that the candy was actually passed out. Yeah. But obviously, they have to take any reports like that seriously. Yeah. The interesting part was a brief mention of University of Delaware professor Joel Best. He said he has been tracking tampered Halloween candy stories since 1958 and found no evidence that a child has ever been seriously injured or killed. Huh. Which is good. Well, yeah, that's good. Right. He said he knew of only two studies looking into contaminated candy reports, but both determined most were hoaxes. Yeah. But why would people fake something like that? Just to scare people. That's so dumb. Well, yeah, but does that surprise you? I guess not. I just, it surprises me that Halloween is still a thing. Like trick-or-treating with like all that scare and... I always see articles of what to look out for in your kid's candy. I know it's crazy to think, and obviously, you know, we were guilty of this too, that we send our kids out to take candy from strangers. Yeah, after your whole <laughs> life, you've been told not to do that. <laughs> Even to the point where people go and have the candy x-rayed. Yeah. So they're worried the candy might be contaminated. Yeah. But they're willing to take that risk. So their kids can go out trick-or-treating. Yeah. And I guess it's been fine because, you know, nobody's been hurt or killed. And most of the time it's a hoax. They said most of the time, so it's not all the time. Yeah. But still, yes, a very bizarre ritual. People want to believe that they live in Stars Hollow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right? <laughs> Even well, then, I wouldn't trust it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you know everybody. Yeah. See, I remember the 74 pixie stick poisoning, but that ended up being a father trying to poison his own kids. Yeah. Yeah, that started another sensation of, you know, being careful when you're out. Obviously, when it happened, it was thought that they picked him up during trick-or-treating. Yeah. So that started a scare, and then that, you know, that lasted for quite a few years. Yeah. And then, of course, Tylenol tampering. Yeah. I remember I was always told not to eat candies that were wrapped like Tootsie Rolls or lollipops, ones that weren't like sealed. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we were guilty, right? <laughs> Just funny that, okay, well, go ahead and take your chances so you can experience this trick-or-treating. Yeah. 
Who's to say that a piece of candy that looks properly wrapped couldn't still be poisoned? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm okay, so I take it that everything yeah. was good in my yeah. batch of candy, but still. Well, as the study showed, you know, most of the time it's a hoax anyway. Yeah. You know, or made up urban legends. So odds are pretty good that nobody's going to get hurt because nobody has yet. Yeah. It's good, but it's quite amazing too. Yeah. In this day and age. You weren't much of a candy eater though, were you? I seem to recall our kitchen cabinet always being filled with Halloween candy from two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I liked Kit Kats and Reese's, but that was pretty much it. Anything else I wasn't a big fan of. I remember we used to gobble that shit up last maybe a week, <laughs> if not a couple days. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, well, to me, I don't know if you were ever like this, but to me, Halloween candy tastes different than the regular candy. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like the smaller size candy does not taste the same <laughs> as the bigger size candy. Not as filling. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like it tasted different. Think they made it cheaper? Probably. So I wouldn't be surprised. Bigger, bigger profit margin during the holidays or not enough chocolate available or cocoa or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder if maybe it was because of all the different candy that was mixed in the bag and like the scents on it. Oh, for you, that would make sense because... <laughs> I know you go ballistic if bananas are anywhere near your food because <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden it all tastes like bananas. <laughs> well, it does. <laughs> okay. I believe you. Oh, my gosh. Alrighty, well, what do you have tonight? So tonight I have the disappearance of Richard Hoagland. Once again, never heard of this. Yeah. I haven't either until I somehow found it. Okay. <laughs> Richard Hoagland was a typical family man from Indiana. He worked for an insurance company. He was married to Linda Eisler in 1982, and they eventually had two sons, Matthew, who was nine at the time, and Douglas, who was six years old. He was described as fun, energetic, friendly, and had a positive attitude, but in the 90s, Richard started to act strange. He began staying in his room alone for hours, which made his wife, Linda, believe he was battling depression. She had thought that if she gave him space, he'd eventually be okay. On February 10th, 1993, Linda received a phone call from Richard while she was at work. He had told her that he was feeling really sick and was going to the hospital. Linda offered to go with him, but he claimed that he didn't have time to wait for her, and Richard never ended up telling her what hospital he was going to. That's bizarre that you wouldn't tell your spouse which hospital you were going to. Yeah, and that he didn't have time to wait for her. I could see that, but, you know, meet me there or something? Yeah. Yeah. She anxiously waited for him to call with some information, but he never did. Worried and assuming the worst, Linda called several hospitals in the area, but none of them had record of Richard Hoagland being admitted. Thoughts of some horrible accident happening, causing him to become a John Doe, kept running through her mind. Without any information, Linda decided to look for clues in his belongings for some sign or anything about a friend of his that she could contact. She had noticed that all of his belongings were left at home, 
and he didn't even take a jacket for the cold February evening. Suspicious. Yeah. After some time, Linda finally gets a call from Richard. She was relieved to see that he was alive. When she answered, he had said that he couldn't live with her anymore and that he left. Before she had a chance to say anything, he hung up. A few hours after that call, he called again and said, quote, I don't want to go to jail. I'm not coming back, end quote. He once again hung up before Linda could say anything. Well, at first I was thinking how bizarre that he would make up the hospital story and then call and say he, you know, he was leaving. Yeah. And like, okay, well, you know, maybe just poor judgment of, you know, trying to figure out what he was going to do. Yeah. But now the second call about going to jail, getting more bizarre. Yeah. Well, since the calls were so bizarre, Linda started to think that maybe it wasn't really Richard. She didn't recognize his voice? That's what I thought and then figured that she thought someone was making him say it. Oh, okay. I see. That's how I kind of took it. Because at first I was like, wait, she didn't recognize the voice. Like she's not sure it was him. Right. But then I figured maybe she believed it was someone forcing him on the other end. Okay. That makes sense. She went to the police and filed a formal complaint. Over the next week, Richard would call Linda only to tell her what he wanted to say and then would immediately hang up. Police traced the calls and found that they were all coming from different places. They would be from Venezuela, Aruba, and even one from Florida. He was traveling all over the world? Yeah, it was very puzzling to them how he was traveling, considering he didn't have any of his belongings. Or money? Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Soon after Linda filed the complaint, police found Richard's van in the parking lot of the Indianapolis International Airport, believing it to have been abandoned. Upon further investigation, they found no signs of foul play. Wait, so going back, was there any mention, and sorry if I'm jumping ahead here, or it isn't there, any mention of, you know, did he have any money that he took out of their accounts? Uh, not that I had seen, no. Wow. He might have, but I don't remember it being mentioned. You think they would? That would be a big yeah. part of it, right? Yeah. He's doing all this traveling? You know, where is he getting all this money? Yeah. During that summer in 1993, Richard sent a birthday card to his son, Matthew. A few months after, he sent another card and $50 to his other son, Douglas. Since the family had not seen or heard from Richard, there was some suspicion on if the cards were actually from him. In one card, he said, quote, Maybe sometime soon we will get to see each other. I bet I won't even know you. It's been so long. Mind your mother, dad. End quote. With the comment about not wanting to go to jail and suspiciously having this money. Yeah. You have to think whether he was involved in something illegal. Yeah. When police began looking into the cards, they began suspecting Linda to be the one writing these cards to her sons in order to stage the whole thing. They were questioning if she had murdered Richard. Oh, interesting. Further investigation into Richard's life showed that he was in severe financial pressure. Since he was the only one that financially supported the family, Linda and their boys had a hard time coping, and she kept questioning why he'd leave them like that. 
Linda was broken emotionally and financially. She couldn't keep up with the mortgage, car payments, credit card bills, education, and etc. Linda and her kids moved in with her parents to help financially. She filed for divorce and a judge granted her divorce while also ordering Richard to pay off his debts, although he had never returned to do so. This was all after he disappeared. Yes. And they suspected her of killing him. Yeah. But it wasn't for an insurance policy or anything, right? No. It seems like she put herself into a worse position if she did that. Yeah. Police started to theorize that maybe Richard was involved in a drug business and had to get away for safety, all while Linda knew where he went. They thought maybe he disappeared first and that Linda and the kids would follow later. You would think that if he was in that type of situation with uh, drugs, whatever, and he took off, that he would fear for their safety. Yeah. That whoever he was running from would just go after his family. Yeah. So that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Well, that's why I think they suspected that she would follow him later. But I don't know why they wouldn't go together. Right, because they're staying behind and they're at risk. He's he's afraid of something. Yeah. Somebody's going to kill him or whatever. Yeah. His family's just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, no, it doesn't. She was interrogated many times and suspected of foul play, but they could never come up with any evidence to link her to the disappearance. At some point, Linda started to become very paranoid. She felt as if someone was always following her. Her mail would be delivered open and belongings would be scattered. She also spotted a recording device in her room and speculated that either police were looking into her or that maybe Richard's secret life was catching up to her. Wow, it keeps getting more bizarre. Yeah. Since she no longer felt safe at her parents, Linda and her kids had moved to McCordsfield, Indiana. She lived in constant fear and paranoia the years following. She constantly checked her surroundings, had bills sent to her parents' place, and even had her kids board the school bus at their friend's place. Which, to me, I think is kind of interesting that you're going to have your bills sent to your parents' place and... Put them at risk? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I know she was already living there, but still. Yeah, a lot of this doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Bizarre. It took about 10 years in order for Linda to feel relaxed. In 2003, the state had declared Richard dead due to the lack of information. Although Linda remarried, the kids weren't taking their father's disappearance well. Douglas became addicted to drugs in high school and he was convicted several times. 23 years after he disappeared in 2016, a detective contacted Linda about Richard. The detective told her that they found him And now was her chance to get answers. Wow. Can't wait to find out what happens. (laughs) Or happened. In 1993, after he left home, Richard went to Florida. He rented a room from a man whose name was Edward Szymanski. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I'm going to go with it. As usual. (laughs) Edward lost his son, Terry, in a fishing accident in 1991. Edward had opened up to Richard and told him everything about Terry and their life. Richard took advantage of the story. He found Terry's death certificate in a drawer and used it in order to create a new identity for himself. Wow. Allegedly, Richard got the birth certificate from Ohio, 
applied by mail for an Alabama driver's license, and then used that license in order to obtain a Florida license. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing that you can do that. A lot of work. Yeah. As Terry Szymanski, Richard married a woman, Mary Hickman, in 1995 and even had a son. He owned multiple properties and got a private pilot's license. He lived as Terry Szymanski for almost 20 years. What a sleazeball. Yeah. To put his family through that. Yeah. It's horrible. And I can't even like imagine going through that. Not even just like his family he left, but the family he had created. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I think more so for the family he left and what they went through. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. If you want to leave, just fess up and leave. Yeah. In 2013, the real Terry's family used Ancestry to look more into the family history. They found records of Terry Szymanski even though they had knowledge of his death in 1991. They realized that someone was impersonating him, but they were afraid that they would be harmed, so they kept silent. 2016 was when a nephew decided he didn't want to stay quiet any longer. He told the police everything, and in June, police contacted Richard and asked what his name was. And he told them his name was Terry Szymanski and even told them the correct date of birth. They continued to question Richard and showed him the death certificate, which got him to finally confess his real name. They arrested Richard Hoagland in July 2016, 23 years after he went missing. Richard told police that he just didn't want to live with his family anymore, and instead of getting divorced and paying alimony, he decided to disappear. Police wanted to charge him for all the crimes he had committed, which was identity theft, loan defaults, and more. Bail was even set at 25000 but he wasn't charged for most of the crime because of statute of limitations. <laughs> loan defaults from when he was married originally? Yeah. So he was just running away from his debt, not just his family. Yeah, and leaving them to the problem. Yeah. He was eventually charged with identity theft, and in 2017, the judge sentenced him to only two years for impersonation and identity theft. Linda believed the sentence was unfair, so she decided to sue Richard for $1.8 million for unpaid child support, mental stress, and divorce proceedings, and she ended up winning. Good, but she obviously isn't going to get that money from him. Yeah. So did anything come of that? I know you'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) At the time of Richard's arrest, his son Douglas was serving an eight-year sentence for drug possession. He had found out about his dad through a news report on TV and saw the picture of his father. Douglas decided to write a letter to Richard with part of the letter saying, quote, For a long time, I wondered what was wrong with me that would warrant someone being able to just walk away. I'm sure the underlying question for everyone is why? What was so bad you had to disappear? End quote. He also wrote about his drug problem that was linked to his father disappearing, but didn't directly put blame. He said, quote, At a very young age, I lost a person that I thought loved me. I had very low self-esteem, and that affected my drug use even more. I used drugs to get my confidence, since at times I felt less than I really was. End quote. Yeah, that's messed up, what he did to his family and his kids. 
Yeah, especially since they were so young. Yeah. Mary Hickman, Richard's other wife, fought to retain the property she had bought with Terry. She kept most of them, but her life was uprooted and destroyed. She had a hard time coping with the 20 years of her life being a lie. Linda and her family still believe that Richard ran away to evade dangerous business he got involved with, but they're relieved to get some closure. Richard is still trying to pay the money he owes Linda, but of course his finances are not good from being in jail, going through a divorce, and his assets were frozen. They should have debtor's prison for people like that. Yeah. If you can't pay it, you're going to prison. Yeah, it's horrible. I can't even imagine. I'm glad that Linda won the case, but yeah, I don't see her getting any of that money. Right. But maybe winning the case, even though she's not getting the money, maybe that somehow helped with getting closure. Yeah, I would hope. I mean, at least makes a point, right? Yeah. You know, you can't walk away and not have any consequences of leaving your family like he did and, you know, not paying alimony and all that stuff. Yeah. Just messed up. Well, that is all I have on that. Well, that was bizarre. Many twists and turns had me going. Didn't yeah. know what was going on. That was the disappearance and reappearance of Richard Hoagland, but I didn't want to mention the reappearance until after. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to spoil the ending. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, tonight I am going to talk about missing time. Oh. So somewhat related. I had yeah. no idea what you were doing this week. So we both had... Missing related stories. Yeah, I had no <laughs> idea what you were doing either. <laughs> also known as missing time phenomenon. Phenomenon. But I'll say event because I can't say phenomenon <laughs> too often. <laughs> I feel like we've been through this in an episode previously. <laughs> yes, one of the earlier episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Have to forgive me in advance because I feel like I might be all over the place a little bit. Just because the story that I was looking for that I still think is out there, I haven't really found everything I want to find, but I did find a lot of interesting side stories, if that <laughs> makes any sense. No, it does. You're looking for something and then you end up finding others. Other things, yeah. 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 And what I was looking for was really hard to track down, but I still feel there's stories out there. So your story was also missing. Yes, <laughs> very good. <laughs> I got on this topic because of a strange memory I have from when I was a kid, which has always bothered me. So that has had me thinking about, over the years, people with missing time. Yeah. Now, missing time mostly relates to abduction stories. At least that's what you find most out there, like kind of like the Betty and Barney Hill. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of when you mentioned it. Now, I don't think in any way that I was abducted, but the memory has always made me wonder about people who have stories of missing blocks of time that are related to abductions. Yeah. Or maybe they have memories that are just strange or wrong somehow. I don't know if you have any of those from your childhood where you just have this memory that just doesn't feel right. Yeah, I guess, but I always just figured it was being too young to really remember or not really knowing the difference between reality and false memory. Yeah, that's interesting because I understand the concepts of faulty or false memories. Yeah. But I'm not going to question these stories yeah. in that way because 
I understand that, but I also understand that that doesn't mean that all memories are faulty or false. Yeah. Right. Well, that's just what I write mine off as. No, I no. I, that's what I'm just saying is yeah. that I totally understand that. And that could be a legitimate reason for the memory. Yeah. But I just. Don't want to dismiss other stories. Right. Yeah. Just want to point out that I get that. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not delving into these stories like, oh, yeah, these are all true or whatever. Yeah. But I'm also not going to say they're all false because, you know, memory is faulty or whatever. Yeah. No, that makes sense. See, we're already rambling all over the place. <laughs> well, that's our brand, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, a lot of the missing time events have occurred while people were driving. That sounds scary. Yeah. Now, many of those were UFO related, like the hills. Yeah. At least the people talked about seeing strange lights or objects before the missing time occurred. So it kind of implies that something alien was going to happen, UFO yeah. related, but they didn't discuss having an actual abduction. Yeah. At least not at the time that they were relaying the story. I'll save the UFO stories for later because I think there's still some more interesting ones out there. Case in point, I will mention one of them, not driving related, but an interesting time event missing. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> story. <laughs> so this was in 1966. Robert Matthews was 19 years old, and he was going to report for duty at a base near Cape Cod, Massachusetts. It was 8.45 in the evening when he arrived at a market. I believe that is where the bus dropped him off. Yeah. And someone from the base was supposed to come by and pick him up. It was a very rural area, so there was nobody around at that time of night. And there was not anybody around from the base to pick him up either. Hmm. So he went over to the payphone and called the base. They tell him they'll have a truck out to pick him up. He claimed that after he got off the phone, he saw some strange lights moving across the sky. While watching them, at some point he got scared and ran back to the phone to call the base again. They asked him where he had been. They sent a truck out to pick him up, but he wasn't there. Oh. Although he thought it had been just a few minutes between phone calls, almost an hour had actually passed. Jeez. Much more to that story. I will come back to that, like I said. Yeah. Just a little teaser there. That's got to be such like a weird feeling. Yeah. Back to the driving, I did find a number of stories where the people didn't talk about seeing anything strange or mention they felt they were abducted or anything, just that they were driving and experienced missing time. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was looking for. Not to discount the stories again, Lost time while driving is kind of difficult because of road hypnosis, which is quite common and I'm sure everyone has experienced on long or familiar drives. You're young. You probably haven't. Is that where you're kind of like... You're spaced out? Yeah. And you're just, you get somewhere and you're like, how did I get here? I do that when I'm walking. <laughs> <laughs> Safer than when driving. Again, yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't walk out into the street. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so there's that, right? Yeah. Because everybody, well, yeah, it's just... Muscle memory. Yeah, muscle memory. It's just road hypnosis. You, yeah. You thought you missed time, but... The other thing was a lot of the stories started with, I just got off a double shift. 
or I just finished work at 1 a.m., or I had to drive to a town four hours away to attend a family gathering, and then I had to drive back that night and on the way back. Yeah. So you have to wonder if exhaustion plays a role in it too. Yeah. Or at least some of these stories. That would make sense too. Yeah. The one interesting story though was this guy who was heading home from work. He lived in a very rural area, so a long stretch of mostly deserted highway to get home. He pops on cruise control and just goes, heading home. He notices a road sign close to his upcoming exit, and a song he likes comes on the radio about that time. Now, he admits that he went into a bit of road hypnosis and was jolted out of it when the cruise control kicked in as the car started up a hill. I should say the cruise control kicked the gas up as it was trying to get up this hill. It was strange because there weren't any hills between his work and home. He also noticed there was a dense fog in the area, so he was having a hard time figuring out where he was. He crests another hill and finally sees some lights ahead, and he is able to pull over and figure out his location, which is about 10 miles from his exit. Oh. The strange thing was the song he remembered starting on the radio was still playing. Based on the length of the song, he calculated that he would have had to have traveled the 10 miles in about three minutes. Hmm. So I think that comes out to about 200 miles an hour. Jeez. So it doesn't seem likely. Yeah. So that was an interesting story. Some other non-car related stories I thought were interesting. One person talked about when they were in first grade and one day after class, they headed out to the bus pickup area. When they got there, they noticed nobody was around and the parking lot was pretty much empty. They went back into the school and found a teacher who called their mom to come pick them up. They had mentioned they wondered if they had some type of repressed memory. Yeah. Because that that was pretty bizarre. Yeah, that's weird. Imagine walking out to the bus area and then there's like nobody around. Yeah, that would scare me as (laughs) a little kid. Yeah. One story made me laugh. I won't go into the details, but the person starts out that they got home, popped a Xanax, smoked some pot, and then had a missing time experience. Oh, my God. (laughs) Now, they made it sound serious, so I don't know if they're really serious, but I can't believe they weren't joking. Yeah. (laughs) This next one would seriously freak me out. I think the school bus one would really freak me out. Yeah. But this one was weird to me. Person said they went to bed one night, so they were a little kid, went to bed one night, middle of winter, snow on the ground. They wake up and it is sunny and in the 90s. Now that's probably not too strange for some areas. Yeah. They asked their parents why it is so hot outside and where the snow went, but the parents don't know what they're talking about. Now I imagine when you're a kid, you don't you know think to clarify things. Yeah. But I was wondering if he would have just asked his parents specifically, was there or was there not snow on the ground last night? Yeah. You know, I'm not sure what to make of that story, but seems like a really bizarre thing to wake up like that. And was he missing like a month worth of time? Yeah, I would not like that. Another story was a teenager heading home after a babysitting gig. It was about 11 at night and they were passing a store right near their home and said they remember seeing a huge puddle in the parking lot of the store And the next thing they recall is waking up the next morning. Hmm. 
zero recall of getting to the house, getting ready for bed or anything. I thought the recognition of the puddle and then all of a sudden waking up was bizarre. Yeah. Interesting detail there. Yeah. It's so. like random, but it seems significant. Right. So that's all I really have so far. Again, I'll continue to dig into it. There's one side story that I ran into, which is about time slips. So that is where somebody briefly slips into another time without realizing it. Yeah. Like spontaneous time travel. Yeah. They will be somewhere and they'll feel like things are off. The area doesn't look right. The people don't look right or something. Yeah. But they usually don't realize what had happened until afterwards. That's weird. Yeah. There were two British women who actually published a book in 1911 about an experience they had when traveling in France. And they were academics, so this wasn't just two random women yeah. telling this story. I was going to look into that. I didn't have a chance to look into that, but I'll come back on that story. That'll be interesting. But that's all I got. Like I said, a lot of random crap. <laughs> no. <laughs> Anything else? No, I just think it's scary. I can't imagine the feeling of losing time like that. I mean, the closest thing I can think of that I remember is if I'm up late at night and then I didn't realize how late it was. I know that's not the same thing that they're talking about. Right, right. But even that weirds me out, so I can't (laughs) imagine what they went through. Yeah, it is really bizarre to think about. Yeah. Alrighty, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Thank you very much for joining us. Make sure to visit next week for more weird and creepy stories. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 12 past 3 or email us at podcast at 12past3.com. Good night. Good night. Good night.